Uh, We're going to pray in just a moment, but if you would actually turn now uh, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. Okay, Matthew chapter 1. Now, as you're turning there, I've got a question for you. Are you you into watching like Christmas movies around this time of year? We've got a couple of yes. See, there's a movie. Um, A lot of you would recognize that. That is like one of the ones that uh, my family grew up watching for sure. We've introduced it uh, to our kids, and that's, of course, Rudolph, uh, classic. I mean, there are a ton of great Christmas movies uh, out there and and a ton of probably not-so-great ones, Um, but you think of some of some of kind of the classics. What comes to mind for me is um, It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Miracle on 34th Street, Grinch. What is it? Sound of, Sound of Music is really good. I was expecting Christmas Carol, Die Hard for some of you, really like that, <laughs> right? But no, there are some really, really uh, great movies uh, that are out there for sure. And uh, have you ever noticed, though, that, that most of these movies are kind of in some ways uh, about saving Christmas? You notice that? It, it usually has something to do with, you know, fighting against all odds and oftentimes, a, you know, about a bad guy of some kind who's trying to ruin Chris, uh, Christmas and, and stop Santa from being able to, you know, deliver presents to all the kids and all of that. So, you know, there's that part of it uh, for sure. It's, or it's often about some, some kind of family that, you know, needs to overcome their differences and, and really rally together in some kind of, you know, touching, made-for-TV, you know, moment that's, you know, so warm and fuzzy, and you know, it, all of it is really how Christmas uh, can be saved. Now, um, it's interesting, right? Christmas movies are about a rescue mission. I've been kind of thinking about that this week because, you know, the biblical story, the biblical story or the account of Christ's birth itself is a rescue mission. Have you noticed that? It's a rescue mission. Only has really nothing to do with, you know, getting some, you know, cold-hearted soul to believe in Santa or something like that. That's not what it's about. It's, uh, it's really about this. Okay, we've got it on the screen for you, and you've got it in your notes, too. Okay, Christmas is, at its core, a rescue mission planned by God to save us from sin and draw us near. Okay, that's what Christmas is about. That's what Christ's birth uh, is really getting at, and that's why he came And so as we're, you know, again, seven days away uh, from Christmas Day and the time that we celebrate all of these things, have you considered that? Have you really thought about that? Is your heart geared uh, at this point towards the fact that this season is all about God entering into his creation? Have you thought about that? Or have you found yourself kind of caught up in more of the commercialism about it? And it's all about getting gifts and how am I going to afford all of these and, you know, turkey dinners and trying to manage the whole, you know, whose family do we go to on what day? Is, is, are those the kinds of things uh, that Christmas is about uh, for you? All right, well, I want to read this. This is Matthew chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 18. We're going to read down to 23. If you would read along with me, uh, that would be, uh, that'd be great. Here it is. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Lord, we come before you uh, this morning, Lord, just uh, so grateful for how you are moving in our church, Lord, and we're excited about this next phase of ministry for us and, and uh, live preaching happening here every single weekend, God. And I mean, what, what, what a gift of your grace that you would be moving and working in this way, Lord. And we just pray that, um, that you would really use that to have a deep, deep impact in people's lives. Lord, we pray that uh, the disciples would be made. Lord, we pray that, that salvation would come to the lost. Lord, we pray that, that uh, dead and dying souls would, would come to life through the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that as we jump into Matthew chapter one here and start to unpack all of these verses and look at this, Lord, I pray that our hearts would well up with joy. Lord, I pray that we would be locked in on what this season is and Lord, um, be able to identify when our hearts are, are far from this, Lord. And so God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you direct us now? We pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 All right, so before, okay, before we can really appreciate uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, before we can really you know, love all of that, we need to understand why. <laughs> right? why. Why did it happen? Why did it have to happen in the first place? You know, what was the whole point? Well, that's exactly why we're looking at these verses, because it really gets at it uh, crystal clear. And so that, that line that was up on the screen beforehand, that was our outline. It's in your notes. We're going to pull this all apart now, and here's the first thing. Okay, Christmas is, at its core, a rescue mission planned by God. Okay, this whole thing is planned by God. Take a look at verse 18 now. Verse 18 says this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. All right, so, what, so what's happening here? Right? What's happening uh, in these uh, couple of verses? A, a lot, right? There's a, there's a lot going on. And first of all, what, what you might notice here is this is really kind of from the perspective of Joseph isn't it? We kind of hear it from his angle. Now, we don't know necessarily a ton about Joseph. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. Actually, on Christmas Eve, Pastor Paul is going to be working us through the story kind of from Mary's perspective, and so that should be pretty good. But here today, it is about kind of Joseph and his angle. And this tells us here that Mary and Joseph, they were, they were betrothed. Okay, they were betrothed. You know, you know what that word's all about? I think oftentimes when we think betrothed, we kind of think of, of like modern day engagement. Right? That's what you think about when a couple gets engaged and they plan uh, to get married. Uh, but actually the word betrothed there uh, is a little bit different. It was actually a, a legally binding agreement um, uh, where, where, where bride and groom were considered legally pledged to be married. Okay, but they weren't yet uh, fully kind of husband and wife. It wasn't yet 100% uh, official. And so it was a period of time in their relationship uh, where they weren't living together, all right? And they certainly hadn't, you know, consummated uh, the relationship uh, or anything like that. Um, but the only way to break this agreement was through the, you know, process of, of formal divorce, 
And so that's why it says there in verse 18, take a look, he says, before they came together. Before they came together. So that's, that means in an official, like fully done, signed, sealed, and delivered type of way. It certainly means before they came together sexually, okay, as husband and wife. It says that she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, if you're reading that for the first time, you're probably like, huh? Like, like what is going on here? Like, this, is, this seems like it's kind of out of left field. Why I can assure you that that's how it felt for uh, Joseph uh, and Mary as well. And what you need to know is that this is really the initiation of the incarnation. Okay, this is God in the flesh, meaning that this is, this is God's rescue plan being initiated. All right, like, like when you ever, you ever watch one of those war movies before, right, and you see the helicopter full of Marines, and they're coming in, and they're kind of getting themselves psyched up, and then, and, and then the helicopter lands, and they all jump out, and it's like boots on the ground, the mission is on. Okay, that's exactly what is happening uh, here in this moment. Okay, God himself is making his human entrance into the world that he created. Okay, and his plan... His plan was to be conceived as a physical human baby from the Holy Spirit through a virgin woman. Now, that's just like super easy to understand, right? And maybe not so much, right? And I think for us, we, we kind of hear that. Even if you've been in the church like your whole life, you hear that and you're like, you know what? That's, that's pretty amazing, but I kind of sense that I don't, I don't grasp it fully, Right? Is that, is that how you feel? I know that, that, that's how I feel uh, for sure. You know, it's just, it's one of those challenging things to totally understand. There's this, there's this amazing, you know, God element in this that maybe we will never fully understand. And I actually got a quote for you. It's going to go up on the screen here. And I think this really kind of helps us sort of understand this uh, a little bit. And this is by a pastor. And he says this, Obviously, Jesus' conception by the Holy Spirit is a great mystery. Even had he wanted to do so, how could God have explained to us in terms that we could comprehend how such a blending of the divine and the human could have been accomplished? Okay, next one. We could no more fathom such a thing than we can fathom God's creating the universe from nothing, his being one God in three persons, or his giving an entirely new spiritual nature to those who trust in his son. The understanding of such things We'll have to await heaven when we will see our Lord face to face. The virgin birth is astounding. It really, really is. I mean, that we can't fully wrap our minds around this, that this makes your head hurt when you think about it, should really cause each one of us to just say, wow, you know, wow, God, you are, you are amazing. You are, you are far greater than my mental faculties can even fathom, right? You are far deeper and, and, and wider and infinitely more loving and wise and able than I have the slightest clue about. And I worship you. I worship you. That should be the response of the church, when we start to think about these things, as we meditate on the virgin birth, this, this blending of the divine that, that Jesus himself was 100% God and at the same time 100% human. That's hard for us to grasp because we are, just, we are just human. We only have one nature and he has both. We should worship when we think about that. 
We should be excited about that. We should feel small when we think about that and realize how great and how big and how vast and how awesome our God really is. Now, do you think that that's how Joseph was feeling in this moment? Nope. No, he was not. Okay, take a look at verse 19. Right, this is what it says. It says, And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, so at this stage in the game, you know, God hasn't briefed Joseph on the plan yet. He hasn't brought him uh, into the loop. And so, so Joseph, he just assumes that, that the woman that he loves has been unfaithful. Right? Just try and put yourself in his shoes, in his headspace for just a second. I mean, what other explanation was there as far as he was concerned? This, this kind of thing has never been done before. And he wasn't thinking about that. And so think about him. You know, he's, he's young. His, his bride-to-be is, is young. They got their whole lives ahead of them. And there would have been the anticipation and the excitement of all of that. And, and yet what he thinks right now is just devastation Right? He's hurt, his heart is, is hemorrhaging, it is broken, and he, he doesn't know what's going on. But here's the thing, because he was a righteous man, right? it says in there that he was, he was just. He's like, you know what, he, and, and Joseph would have known, the Mosaic law said that because she was adulterous in this way, she would be put to death. Right? That's how serious this was. But he was like, you know what, I, I don't want to make a bigger deal of this uh, than is already going to be made a, bi- a big deal of. So I just want to, you know, just kind of honor her. I mean, think about Joseph and the qualities that he had and his character. He was just going to kind of, you know, divorce her quietly and not make it kind of a, a bigger deal than it was. All right, so again, Joseph, he, you know, he thinks his world's blown up. He thinks it's, it's kind of over uh, for him. His plans are falling apart. But there's a much bigger plan developing, isn't there? Right? The Lord's doing something, something huge here. Take a look at verse 20. It says this, but as he considered these things, so this is Joseph, he's thinking about this, right? He's riled up. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Right, so the Lord, what does he do? He, he mercifully, mercifully lets Joseph in on the plan. He doesn't leave him twisting in the wind for very long. He brings him up to speed. He sends an angel. And the angel's like, it's okay, Joseph. It's all right. You know, what's happening to you right now is according to God's plan. You know, he is the one causing these events. And it says there twice, if you've noticed it, it says that this is from the Holy Spirit. Right? He is the one doing this. He is, he is the one at mission control orchestrating this entire operation. This is all going according to plan. None of this is a mistake. And what was God doing? He was doing this to rescue us. He was doing it to rescue us. Now, if you, know, if, if you stop and if you think about this, you, know, you might come to the conclusion that, man, man only God would do something like this. Right? Only God could do something like this. Because, I mean, think about, think about Romans 3, verse 11 for a second. Okay, this is what it says. It says, no one seeks for God. No one. No one seeks for him. No one, no one was out there, you know, looking for a rescue. No one was asking for it. Okay, did you, did you, know, that, um, did you know that because of our total depravity, 
Okay, we are that flawed and we are that corrupt because of our sin. Do you realize that we have, we have zero capacity to do, what, well, a bunch of things. First of all, we have zero capacity to even see that we need rescuing. We don't even realize it. I mean, most of the world is just walking around stuck in sin and, and, it's, and it's, you know, engaging in problem after problem and mistake after mistake the whole while, just thinking this is just normal. There's no, there's no problem here. I don't need rescue. I'm, I'm fine. Right? We have zero capacity to even see that we need rescuing. We also have zero capacity to fix the problem even if we had seen it. Do we have any ability to save ourselves? You know, the solution for most people is like, well, I'll just try and be good. Right? You, know, you know what trying to be, to be good is like when it comes to saving ourselves, rescuing ourselves? It's like, you ever use one of those like, little tiny kids' band-aids to try and like, fix a massive gash? You're like, what am I even doing? Right? That's what trying to be good does in saving us. Nothing. Right? It is useless. We, we can't fix the problem. We are lost. Our, our sin has ruined any relationship, any hope that we have of fixing a relationship uh, with the Lord. We have zero capacity to fix it. Here's another thing. We have zero capacity to ask God for help. We can't do that. Okay? We, we, were, we were completely blind, completely dead spiritually, completely useless okay, when it came to fixing our sin problem, when it came to saving ourselves. So the only way that it was ever going to happen is if the Lord himself did something about it. And that's exactly what he did. The virgin birth, again, it's the launch of his rescue plan for all of humanity. Okay, this is huge. Now, it's one thing to realize that God planned our rescue. I mean, how great is that? To think that he had a plan? It wasn't like this willy-nilly thing, like off the cuff. Well, I guess I might as well do this. It's, you know, a Saturday or whatever. No, he had this thing planned. He had it planned big time. And hey, did you realize this? He actually had this plan from the beginning. From the beginning. In fact, even before creation. Okay, 1 Peter 1 says this, But when the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for our sake, or for the sake of you. Okay, so get this. Before God created anything, he knew exactly how everything was going to turn out. He knew it all. None of this caught him by surprise. He was like, the Garden of Eden wasn't planning for that. No, he knew it. He knew it before all time. It's because he's an omniscient. He knows everything. He knew that, that mankind would rebel. Right? He knew all of that. And he had the, the, the rescue mission planned before Genesis 1, verse 1. Before he spoke things into existence, he knew that his creation, the, the cherry on top, which is what humanity is, he knew that we would rebel. He knew that we would sin against him. We, he, he knew that we would, we would break the covenant, break the bond with him. He got it. He understood it. So he planned it from the very beginning. You want to know another thing that's really cool, though, about his plan? Another amazing thing here is that he actually lets us in on the plan right near the beginning. 
You realize that in Genesis chapter 3, 15, which is, which is really just like some, a few moments right after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And you remember, it's, this is the fall, Genesis chapter 3. And, and God is condemning Satan. He's talking about the consequences that are going to come to mankind now because of sin and how that has entered uh, into the world. And this is what he says to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, there's a really fancy kind of theological word uh, that theologians use for that. It's called the proto-evangelium. Okay, proto-evangelium. And what that means is that this is the very first gospel proclamation. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Yes, it had some very specific elements that were, you know, applicable to Eve and to creation and all of that, but it's also very much messianic. And so he's talking to Satan. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. And so he's talking about Eve in one sense. In another sense, he's talking about um, Mary. He says, between your offspring, so Satan's offspring being, you know, the demonic and all of his forces of evil, and her offspring foreshadowing Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. He, as in Jesus, shall bruise, some translations say, crush, crush your head. Jesus is going to destroy you, is what he says right out of the gate. And he says this, and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bruise his heel. What's he talking about? The cross. The cross. He's talking about how it's going to look like Satan has this epic victory over Christ, over God, over God's people by defeating Jesus on the cross forever. And what God's saying here is like, it's a, it's a bruise. You're going to bruise his heel, right? But he's going to crush your head. And that's what the resurrection signifies. It signifies victory over sin, victory over death, salvation for you and me. Amazing. Amazing that the Lord would be uh, so, so gracious to us and give us a sense of hope that, hey, listen, I know it's bleak right now, Adam and Eve. I know it's bad, and I know there's going to be a lot of bad coming because of sin. But hey, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to rescue you. And so he gives us that. I love that. Now listen, do not miss the impact of this. Don't miss it. That what we celebrate at Christmas is the most epic of storylines. It really, really is. It is the most brilliantly conceived, expertly planned, and skillfully executed rescue mission in the history of the universe. That's what this is. It, it kind of probably makes us feel that, you know, candy canes and stocking stuffers, you know, maybe misses the point, like, just a bit, right? No, it's, it's, it's not about those things. Right? Jesus came to save us from sin. And that's really the second thing here this morning. And what does the angel say? Well, he tells Joseph, verse 21, she will bear a son. He's talking about Mary. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He just lays it out. This is what I'm doing. Joseph, you're going to know about it right from the beginning. Now listen, church. Don't let your understanding of the biblical Christmas narrative here fall short. Don't let it fall short. This is, this is so much more than just, you know, mere information about how God came to earth in human form. 
Now, it is wondrous information. It is amazing news for sure. But listen, we have missed everything if we fail to grasp the why. Right? If we don't understand the why he came to do it, then it is just another story. But it's so much more than that. He came to earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, to save us from our wickedness. To save us from the penalty due to our wickedness. Okay, so just think about yourself right now. Can you do that? Can you think about your own life? I mean, do you realize that, that even you know, what you might consider to be the, you know, the smallest or you know, the most insignificant of your sins is in reality devastating. It is devastating. Okay, the Bible teaches us a bunch of things about our sin. Do you realize this? I'm going to just go through a couple of them here. Okay, the Bible teaches us that our sin is falling short okay, of God's standard. That's what, that's what sin is. So picture shooting an arrow with a bow. Okay? It's, it's, it's missing that target every single time. Right? That's, what, that's what sin is. God's standard is, is perfection. It is white hot purity and, and, and holiness. And we just flat out do not measure up to that. That's what, that's what our sin tells us and that's what our sin is. Romans 3.23 is a verse about that if you want to write that down. Okay, what else? Okay, our sin makes us spiritually dead. Our sin makes us spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1. Right, you were dead in your trespasses. Now listen, what can dead people accomplish? Zero. Right? We cannot accomplish anything. So we were done. We were you know, up a creek without a paddle, done, spiritually speaking. And that's why God had to come and do something about it. We were spiritually dead. He made us alive, as the scriptures say. We are spiritually dead. What else is our sin all about? Well, our sin provokes God to holy wrath. It provokes God to holy wrath. And in the scriptures, it talks about how when we sin, when, when mankind sins, God is storing up wrath. It is building up. And at some point, you know, the floodgates are going to open. And trust me, we do not want to receive God's wrath. John 3, 36 talks about that. That should be, that should be sobering when we think about our, how our sin stores up and provokes God to holy wrath. Now, when we think wrath, we often think, well, that must be sinful wrath. That must be unjustified wrath. No, it's not. God, God has never sinned. He has never made a mistake. He has never erred, ever. So his wrath is always justified. It is always righteous. Because he is God, because he is perfect, he dictates how the world works. He gets to, to tell us how life should be. And when we fall short of that, it is, it's a stench in God's nostrils, and it stores up God's wrath. Now, thankfully, right, thankfully, he loves us. He loves us. He didn't have to, but he did. And that's why he sends Jesus. What's another thing about our sin? Okay, our sin um, is also, let me get to it here. Our sin separates us from God. Right? Our sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, verse 2. Now, our sin sends us on a collision course for hell. And hell is total separation uh, from God. It describes it as, as weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now listen, can our world, you know, be a pretty awful place at times? Yeah, you know, watch the news for two minutes and you get it. 
But do you realize that God is very much present and very much active in the world, even in the, even in the lives of unbelievers, even in the lives of the wicked? They're receiving God's grace 24-7. They have breath in their lungs. They have food on their tables, right? They have, they have the capacity to enjoy life, right? That is a gift from God. Can you imagine what hell's gonna be like with none of that? Like pure misery. And our sin separates us from him apart from Jesus Christ. And then, of course, our sin affects others. Our sin affects others. Okay, you just think about all the different stories all throughout Scripture. I think of you know, David and Bathsheba in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11. And how David, you know, he was the king of, of, uh, of Israel. And he decided one day that he wanted to take Bathsheba, a married woman, uh, to be uh, his own. And so he slept with her and it just set off this chain reaction of awful things. Right? He ended up getting her husband killed. Their, their child that they had ended up uh, dying because they were experiencing the discipline of God. It affected their entire nation. Awful, awful, the sinful effects um, of our sin. And I think all of us could probably point to multiple cases where, where our own sin has affected other people or other people's sin has affected us. Right? Sin is is devastating. I mean, these are the things that your sin, my sin, accomplishes. That's what we get, and it is not pretty. It's not. Now, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, what should be happening as you hear all of these things? Right? You should be welling up with gratitude. You should be so thankful at the grace of God that, that he would give you even a moment's notice, and beyond that, give you his son to pay the price for your sin on the cross? Are you so thankful for that and the truth of the gospel? Right? The fact that God has given you a savior, that he's given you everlasting life, that he has a plan to heal your heart and, and give you a life purpose that goes you know, so far beyond your short-sighted goals. And thank him. Thank him for that. Praise him. Worship him. And ask that he would, that he would be the joy of your heart. And that the truth of the gospel would be the motivation for, for everything in your life. Yeah, of course, of course I want to serve you, Lord. Of course I want to obey you because you have given everything to me. Now listen, if you do not know Jesus Christ personally and you are sitting here today uh, in this room, okay, and this might sound interesting okay, at first, okay, but you should be filled with dread right now. You should be. You should, you, you should have this, you know, this, this kind of this sickening feeling, you know, welling up in your mind and, and in your soul, you know, a, a, a weight and, and a burden that you cannot handle and cannot deal with because you can't shake the thought that your sin is against Almighty God. And, and if you are here today, you know, why would you not trust Him as your Savior? Why would you not give your sin over to him? Because understand, understand this. God loves you. God loves you. The reason he entered into creation is because he loves you. And he, he, he sent his son to the cross, you know, about 30 plus years after he was born to Mary and Joseph. 30 years later, he went to the cross to satisfy God's wrath so that God would pour out all the punishment for all sin, including yours and including mine, once and for all. So that, you would be, so that you would trust in Jesus, so that you would trust that what he did on the cross secured your salvation. Would you trust him today? Do not let another day go by. 
Listen, we are not guaranteed to make it home alive after church today. And I'm not trying to be super dark about that. It's just reality. Our life is a vapor. Don't hold off. Don't try and say, well, I need, I need to figure out about 50 other things first before I do this. No, you don't. You just need to understand your sin is separated from you, from, uh, you from God. You can't do anything about it. So Jesus did. Confess your sin to him. Ask him to be your savior. Done. You are a follower of Jesus. And then he will spend the rest of your life working in you to transform you and to change you and to make you more like him, to give you a new heart that loves the things that he loves. That's what the Christian life really is. God's rescue mission to save sinners is for you. It's for you. All right, Christmas is at its core a rescue mission planned by God to save us from sin and draw us near. It's to draw us near. That's the last thing. Hey, verse 22. Take a look at that. All this took place. Okay, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is so great. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You should underline that last part. God with us. Okay, so what you see here again is that, is that God's salvation plan was not only told before the beginning of time. It was not only told in Genesis 3, verse 15, but it was actually prophesied at certain points all throughout human history just to encourage us that, hey, don't worry, I'm coming for you. Don't worry, mankind. Don't worry. I'm going to gather my people to myself. Don't worry. It's coming. Be patient. He's trying to establish in, in his creation, in us, a hunger and a thirst for him. And so he used the prophets all throughout. And you read it oftentimes all through the Old Testament and even all the way up until John the Baptist in the gospel, you know, pointing towards a savior is coming. Right, and the prophet reference here uh, in this passage is, uh, is Isaiah. And this verse is actually pulled from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. You might want to write that down. And this is what he said. He says, Behold, the virgin shall con uh, conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. It means God with us. That God would draw near to us and then draw us near to him, you know, all of that speaks to the kind of relationship that God intends to have with you. That's the kind of relationship he wants. It's not this, it's not this distant relationship where you just kind of, you know, behave properly, but the Lord feels like he's a million miles away. That's not what he's going for. It's not this kind of this, uh, you know, cold. He's not a cold, you know, ruthless taskmaster, you know, God in the sky, you know, not with us. You know, he, he's not that. God has created us and he's created this relationship for intimacy. He wants to be close. He's rescued us so that we would know him deeply. We would know him deeply in a way that, that listen, no other human being could ever give us, right? And I mean, I think we know that relationships can be so great. They're a drop in the bucket compared to what God wants to give you, compared to the kind of relationship he wants to have with you personally. He wants to, to satisfy us in a way that, 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 that truly, you know, satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts, our deepest cravings. Do you realize that every deep craving that you have for belonging, 
for, uh, for wholeness. You know, all of those things that we tend to find in money and we try to find in, in sex and we try to find in power and all of those things, all, all of that is really a heart that is skewed. And really God has given us those desires, but it's become warped. And we now look for created things to bring us satisfaction instead of our creator God to bring us satisfaction through himself. Let me ask you, are you near him today? Are you near to him? Or are you, or would you admit that, you know, I've been distant, you know, and I haven't been pressing into the Lord. And my hunger is kind of non-existent. It's not really there. And I feel kind of cold and stale and wooden inside. And, and, and there's not a lot of passion. Well, I, would, I would encourage you as we you know, engage in all that Christmas you know, has in store for us over the next you know, seven, eight days, whatever it is, and as you hang out with, with family and the gifts come and, and same with the turkey and all the goodness of all of that, I would really encourage you uh, to allow your hearts uh, to really soak in what we've been kind of plunging into uh, here this morning. And that the Lord, that you would ask the Lord, that you would cry out and plead with the Lord with, with some urgency. Lord, I'll, allow me to, to draw near to you, God. Lord, and would you draw near to me? Because again, that is why he did it. He, he doesn't want to hold that back from you. He wants, to, he wants to lavish that on you. He wants to be close to you. Again, that is what the mission is. That is why he came. Let's pray.